Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade, and today's episode is a continuation of the deep dive into Air Force ROTC. If you haven't already done so, please go back and listen to last week's episode, which covered the first half of a cadet's experience in Air Force ROTC as a GMC cadet. This week's episode covers the second two years or the second half of being a cadet. And the topics covered in last week's episode will provide a lot of context and detail that will help you better understand the POC experience. So with that, turn it over to myself and Reed for our deep dive into Air Force ROTC part two. All right. So We've already said we're going to put a pin in field training. Field training happens. Now you are this hardened warrior coming back, ready to start your junior year. So I guess I'm following the pattern right. You're 300 now. Is that where we are? Yes. Very good, Reed. You can see the pattern. You can follow. Well done. That's part of my job, right? See the pattern. <laughs> Very good. So exactly. I completed field training and moved into the POC. Because I had already received a scholarship at that point, I had already contracted with Air Force ROTC. But for those who don't receive a scholarship and then complete field training, it is at this point that they will contract with Air Force ROTC. And it is exactly like it sounds. They're signing on the dotted line that says, I am going into the Air Force Upon graduation, I will receive a commission, and they also take the enlisted oath. They are still not technically in the military, but they are in a reserve student status while they complete the rest of their ROTC training. What that really does, though, is it just helps people to think more clearly about whether or not they want to really commit to the Air Force by making them take that oath because before they take it they can walk away from ROTC and the Air Force at any point but with that contract with that oath being taken that is the leverage that the Air Force needs in order to get somebody to finish the program pay back their scholarship or fulfill an enlisted contract if that's what the Air Force needs yeah that's really interesting when I I think I mentioned this when I did my OTS deep dive, I did the delayed entry program. You know, I've been selected and went down to MEPS and raised my right hand and swore an oath. And it definitely feels real. Do you recall this for you? Yeah, it definitely feels real. You're like, oh, wow, this is, this is real now. It's kind of all academic before that happens. But yeah, when you raise your right hand and you start saying those things, yeah, it becomes real pretty quick. Yeah. So that's the start of the 300 year You've either completed field training and were already on contract or you contract at the beginning of your 300 year. And it's at this point you are now in the POC, the professional officer course, and you are now responsible for training the GMC, 
that 100 and 200 year cadet. So the 300 year is where you are now focused on putting into practice everything that you've learned up to this point about what Air Force ROTC is, how you lead other people, how you build a team, and you get to do it in a safe environment where there is no operational consequence for failure. Nobody's going to die. Nobody's getting shot at. No bombs are going to miss their target. And so it's a good environment for you to start practicing some of your leadership skills, get a feel for what it's like to be in charge of other people. And sometimes the responsibilities that you are given are, are directly over other GMC. Sometimes it's more of a project management type position, which also aligns with how things happen in the Air Force. Sometimes you're in charge of people as an officer. Sometimes you're in charge of a project or program. It is also during this year that, like I alluded to earlier, that cadets will participate in the rated selection board. So if they want to become a pilot or other rated officer, this will happen during their spring semester. If they are going to be a cadet that is taking a fifth year to complete their degree because they need more time or they're in a Secretary of the Air Force five-year approved major, it will happen during their 400 year. But essentially, it's the same process whether it happens in your 300 or your 400 year. During the spring, you'll gather all of your documents and scores that are required for the rated selection board. And we'll do an episode that is dedicated to rated officer selection, but it's at that point in your ROTC career that it will take place. Were you putting in for this? I know you said, you know, earlier on in this episode that you wanted to be a rocket scientist. So were you thinking about, you know, lighting your hair on fire and pulling G's and shooting bad guys, or did you choose a different route? Yeah. So I was never interested in being a pilot and how that affected my ROTC experience is something that I'd like to visit in the field training episode. But I knew early on that not only I didn't want to be a pilot, but also that I wasn't qualified for it. When I went through the Dodmer process, it became immediately clear that I was colorblind and would not qualify medically to be a rated officer. Got it. Okay. Yeah, and that definitely will shape, you know, your career selections. For those who are not competing in this rated selection process, were you also kind of racking and stacking your dream sheet, if you will, and kind of putting that up there for selection as well? No. So the rated selection is the first time that you start to find out what your job is going to be. For all other non-rated officers, that happens in the 400 year. Got it. Okay. So my 300 year was even more rough than my 200 year. Kind of see that how the progression is going for me. I mean, I really enjoyed my first semester as a 300 cadet because I was a flight commander directly responsible for the training and development of GMC cadets. I really liked teaching and helping them learn how the program works. But I'll be honest, my second semester really sucked. I did not enjoy it at all. And that's for a number of reasons, but primarily it was because I was put in charge of a program that I didn't believe in and I didn't enjoy. I thought it was unnecessary and burdensome to both me and to the cadet wing. 
but my leadership around me, both cadet and cadre, felt that it was something that needed to stay in place and that I needed to pull myself up by my bootstraps and participate more fully in it. And I can get into the specifics of how that all went at a later time. I don't think we have time to fully address all of that here. But yeah, I didn't believe in the program. Plus, at the same time, I was struggling in my academics. Now I was in my junior core of mechanical engineering, which is something that is going to happen for pretty much every cadet. The junior core in any major is always going to be more difficult. That is really where the weeding out tends to happen. Yeah, it definitely happened that way for me. The junior year was pretty tough. So I was struggling in my academics. And then I mentioned earlier, there was that girl. Well, now we were engaged, planning to get married. And so my attention was far more focused on her than really on anything else. Yeah, so many lessons. I'm sure you look back on that time and I'm sure it taught you a bunch. I mean, there's, we have to do things that we don't believe in sometimes. And I don't mean that in a, like we're diametrically opposed philosophically to something. It's more, I'm not sure this is the best use of my time and capabilities, but guess what? It's not about me. You know, yeah, we've all had that at some point in our career. So still some lessons that, that can be learned and applied today. Oh yeah. And I, I think back on that time regularly and use that to better inform my decisions going forward, both in the things that I get involved in, as well as the things that I ask other people to give their attention to. Cool. So you suffered the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune of the 300 year. And here we are year 400 game time, right? I mean, this is when it starts to get pretty real. Uh, Except not for me. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Yes. The 400 year is where cadets should be focused on preparing for active duty and becoming a, a lieutenant. It is here that they're at the pinnacle of their ROTC training. They know how everything works. They're in the upper echelons of cadet leadership and they should be the best prepared and most capable cadet in the wing at this point. But it's normal for a cadet at this point to become trunky because they've spent the last four years devoting so much time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears to the completion of their academics and their ROTC training. So you're saying you look like Alan Iverson and people keep talking about practice, right? You kind of get sick and tired of this. You're right. It's time for game day already. Exactly. Right. Okay. (laughs) So don't be surprised that even the most dedicated and hardest working cadet is going to find themselves slipping at this point. I mean, burnout is a real thing, but just like on active duty, you're going to have to find a way to work through it. Also, during this time, and just like it was for me, not only are you burnt out from your ROTC training and your academics, but it's very possible at this point that a cadet has made the decision to take on a part or a full-time job, even if they have a scholarship, and some of them are going to be married and even have kids. And so it's really during the 400 year that your time in Air Force or ROTC is going to most closely mirror the kind of time and priority management that you're going to experience as a new lieutenant on active duty. So my advice to cadets that are in their 400 year is buckle down, take a much closer look at what it is that you're trying to accomplish 
and get really good at managing your time, your priorities, expectations, both for yourself and for your family, because this is what things are going to most likely look like when you get to your first duty station and you have to balance the requirements of the mission, your position as a leader of airmen, and a technical expert within your career field. A couple of stories that I want to share from my 400 year. This is when I felt a renewed desire to excel within Air Force ROTC. So I applied to be the cadet wing commander. Now, up to that point, like I mentioned, I had been a flight commander. I had been involved in a program that I didn't believe in and really, truly, honestly, did not excel in. And so when it came time for my interview and my application for cadet wing command, I met with the detachment commander and he didn't say, who are you? But essentially the way the interview went was, why should I pick you? And reflecting back on that experience makes me think about what we discussed with Sam in the difference between the senior airman who's just crushing it and has that trajectory of high performance and will continue to grow and develop. Whereas there was that tech sergeant who over the course of a career had pockets and peaks of higher performance, but for the most part, just kind of went along to get along. I feel like that's kind of what my Air Force ROTC experience was. And when it came time for me to try and take on far more responsibility I didn't have the track record that said, I am someone that you can trust the cadet wing with because I hadn't developed and shown that higher level of performance over the longer course of time. Now, obviously, I still managed to graduate in commission. I'm an officer in the Air Force, and I think I'm a pretty good one. I'm certainly not the best, but... Had I taken my training in ROTC more seriously and sought out a higher level of performance, maybe I would have been that cadet wing commander. Not that you have to be a cadet wing commander in order to truly achieve success in ROTC and become a much better officer to begin with, but I certainly didn't put in the time and the effort as a 300, as a 400, and then I did a fifth year in completed status because of my mechanical engineering, I definitely did not prioritize Air Force ROTC to the extent that it should have been to really set myself up for greater success as an officer in the Air Force once I got to active duty. Thanks for being vulnerable enough to kind of say that out loud. You know, that's kind of probably hard for some people to do. I'd like to add a little point here that I think is relevant and all of our listeners, pretty much no matter where they are, I think this can apply, but especially for those headed to OTS or headed into ROTC or working on ROTC, I think there's a couple of things that are good to keep in mind. And it mostly what I want to bring up is these environments are built to allow you to succeed and fail without having those things necessarily follow you and define you forever. So if, like you said, Colin, maybe you 
in hindsight, think you could have given more, maybe you should have. It's hard to say, right? Given all the other pressures and things you were experiencing, but you can kind of see how playing the game a little bit differently would have worked out differently. But let me tell you, nobody knows who the cadet wing commander was when you're looking at a major's promotion or a lieutenant colonel promotion or competing for squadron command. That stuff's not on there because no one cares. So I'm not saying don't strive for excellence, right? That's who we are. That's our culture. And I firmly believe that. But also don't show up as a second lieutenant talking about your time as cadet wing commander because it doesn't matter. So same at OTS, right? And I'm using cadet wing commander as an example. We had cadet wing commanders at OTS. And guess what? You all commission at exactly the same time on the same day and you're all butter bars and you're all starting off at zero. So just something to keep in mind, right? You can be really successful being a cadet at OTS, and that's all it meant, is that when you're at OTS, you were really good at OTSing. But don't put too much stock into those things, although they can be beneficial. It's all about what you get out of it and how you grow, right? These positions, these leadership opportunities, they're tools. And I know we'll talk about this when we talk about your time as a cadre, as a staff member. They're tools to teach students. But yeah, it really doesn't matter who cadet flight commanders or cadet wing commanders doesn't matter. So shelve it. Yeah, exactly. I agree with everything you, you said. I wanted to share that because I wanted to emphasize the point that you can get through Air Force ROTC, you can get through OTS, and I imagine the same is true for the academy. You can get through it doing... I don't want to say the minimum, but you can get through it doing the minimum. And if the minimum weren't enough, it wouldn't be the minimum. But at the same time, I recognize that my development, my preparation for being an officer when I showed up on active duty was not where it could have been. And I was not necessarily as ready as I would have liked because I didn't put as much time and effort into Air Force ROTC that maybe I could have or should have. Yeah, totally fair. Now, I don't regret my experiences in college. I don't regret the other things that I chose to put my time and emphasis on. I don't regret the other experiences that I had, but because of what I chose to do, that definitely colored my preparation and eventual uh, level of performance as an officer when I got onto active duty. So let's talk about that. You've completed school, you've completed all your years. Let's talk about like how you actually become an officer. I see some notes down here and I'm excited to hear you tell this tale about the commissioning of Colin Slade. Yeah, absolutely. So like I mentioned, I did a fifth year because I had completed all of my ROTC training, but I had not yet finished my bachelor's degree. So I spent another year as a cadet, but really just focused on completing my academics. At the time, extended or completed status cadets were not required to be involved with very much. That has changed. We expect much more of our completed status cadets at this point, and I think that's for the better so that they can stay close, continue their growth and development, so they don't necessarily end up in a situation like I did, a little bit unprepared and overwhelmed once I got onto active duty. So I completed my fifth year. I have met all of my graduation requirements. It is now time for me to become an officer. So 
once cadets reach that point, immediately after they receive their bachelor's degree and it's like officially awarded to them on their transcript, that is when the cadet can commission. Now, there may be mock commissionings before that to enable family and friends to participate in conjunction with graduation ceremonies and all that. And that was the case for me when I received my degree and my commission. So just like what you described at OTS, the cadre try really hard to make this occasion really special for each cadet that is receiving a commission and not only for them as an individual, but for their family and friends. This is a big deal. As we've tried to emphasize throughout the podcast, becoming an officer in the Air Force is not easy. Not very many people are able to do it. And so we try to celebrate this moment as much as possible. So let me describe what that was like for me. I commissioned in 2011. I actually graduated and received my commission on April 22nd, 2011, which happened to be my two-year anniversary with that girl I've been talking about. So it was a very special day on many, many counts. On BYU campus, where I was a student, there is a memorial within the student center to all BYU students who are or were killed in action or are missing. So I chose to commission in front of those honored names, and my father was an officer in the Utah Army National Guard uh, way back in the day, but once an officer, always an officer, and unless you resign your commission. So my father was able to give me my oath of office, but in the two years prior to that day, my dad had multiple strokes and a pulmonary embolism that put him into the ICU for quite an extended period of time. So the fact that he was alive and there at all was a really big deal to me. Really a huge win for me and my family. He was not able to stand on his own and had difficulty reading the oath of office. And so my brother was also there to support And I will share a picture of this moment in our Facebook group so everybody can see what that was like for me. I hold on to that moment. It is near and dear to me because of all it meant for me, not just in receiving my commission, but what it means for me and my family. In addition to that individual event, my detachment also held a mass ceremony for all the friends and family of those that were commissioning. And it was at this time that my wife and my mother pinned on my rank. And I'll, I'll share some of those pictures as well. And it was at this time that I also asked my best friend to be my first salute. He was a specialist in the Utah Army National Guard at the time. And he is also now a captain in the Air Force coming up on his majors board. So soon my first salute is going to outrank me. And I think that is rather uncommon. Yeah, that is really interesting. So this is 2011. So that his board will be next year. Yeah. So he is non-line. Uh, he is a, he is a, he is medical service corps. And so, so that's a whole different ball of wax. Yep. Okay. Yep. Completely different, but he's still going to outrank me. <laughs> So that was my experience receiving my commission. Really special time in my life. 
I think back on it fondly. I think back on my time in, in ROTC fondly. Yes, it was hard. It was not always what I wanted it to be, but I'm really glad that I did it. It got me to where I am now, and it taught me so many important lessons along the way that I reflect on regularly that helped me not only as an officer in the Air Force, but as a husband, as a father, and I try to be a good person, and I use the things I learned in ROTC in order to try to do that. So what happens after you graduate in commission? It's not like OTS where you're shoot out the door and you're like, go, 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 get out of here. We don't want you anymore. That is definitely not the case for ROTC. So after you commission, you wait. You wait until you are called on to active duty, which may be up to a full year. Air Force ROTC promises that you will be called on to active duty within 365 days from when you graduate and receive your commission. And the reason for that is that AFPC is trying to align your entrance onto active duty with the class dates for your career field, which depending on the career field that you're going into may not happen very often. And there may not be room for you at those class dates because just like everything else, they have to take into account officers that are coming from the academy or OTS, and there may not be a spot for you until a much later date. And they're not going to bring you onto active duty just to sit around and twiddle your thumbs. And so don't be surprised that if you go through ROTC that you may have to wait for up to a year before you get onto active duty. I was fortunate enough to have to wait only for about nine weeks. But during that time, we were no longer students, so we didn't qualify for student housing. And in order to save money, we moved in with my wife's parents so that we had a cheap place to live until it was time to go on to active duty. But during that time, whether it's nine weeks or nine months, you are still being looked after administratively by your local detachment that commissioned you then once you are on active duty, and it's at that point that you're owned by big air force and you're gaining unit and they'll take care of you along the way. So that is air force ROTC from the cadet perspective. I know I went into a lot more detail than you probably expected or needed, but because air force ROTC is the primary source for line officers in the Air Force. I wanted to make sure that you had all the details necessary to share this with other people and they can make an informed decision from that point. Yeah, no, super great, thorough rundown. And I'm sure, Colin, there's going to be people out there with questions and we'll extend the invitation as we always do. Please reach out to us for, via email, via social media, Get in touch with Colin if you've got some ROTC questions. He's definitely going to be your resource. Lots of great stuff here, but I'm sure if the audience has any questions, you're more than happy to field those. Absolutely. That being said, though, I do encourage you to get in touch with local Air Force ROTC detachment cadre or commanders because eventually this information is going to become out of date. Now, I know I said that things don't change very often with Air Force ROTC, 
but I can't guarantee that. But I also can't talk to you about the specifics that are unique to that particular university or your situation. So highly recommend that you go talk to the local cadre and get the information from them. Cool. Well, thanks, Colin. Do you have any other things you want to add before we wrap it up for this week? I just want to say that this episode was meant to be from the cadet perspective, just like you did with your deep dive into OTS. Next week, I'll explain my experience and perspective as an instructor for Air Force ROTC so that we can better explore the cadet and cadre relationship and also what it's like being an instructor for all of those who are interested in becoming an instructor for Air Force ROTC. Awesome. Something to look forward to. With that, we'll wrap it up. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the U.S. government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. Thank you.